It's not that we didn't know the world was an evil place. But perhaps we felt more protected than most people, more able to keep evil at bay. Yes, we knew there were terrible, terrible things that happened around the world, awful, terrible atrocities. But for many of us, they were the occasional thought, the distant problem. And then one terrible Tuesday, 10 years ago, that illusion was shattered. And we realized what deep down we already knew, that evil is everywhere. And it touches everybody. And when it does, I find it interesting that people flock to houses of worship. And people of faith. For comfort and for meaning. When tragedy strikes, the media never calls the ACLU. As one well-known Christian minister said just after 9-11, have you noticed that none of the talk shows were interviewing atheists? And that next Sunday, houses of worship in this country were filled with people. When evil rained down, people looked up, searching for answers and hope in a greater Rain. As I've told you for several weeks, I'm beginning a new series today. It's going to last for nine or ten weeks. I'm calling it Greater Than. And in this series, we're going to ask hard questions about whether the God we worship is enough for the stuff that we face. And it's important because I would contend that Scripture says we do nothing greater than examine our greater than. And here's why. Because my greater than governs my life. I consistently make my choices and choose my path According to my greater than. Let me give you an illustration from scripture. In Genesis we read about a man named Jacob. Who has gone back to the land of his forefathers. And he sees and meets a woman named Rachel whom he loves. He is so deeply in love with Rachel. That he agrees to work for seven years for her father to be able to marry her. And they seem like a seven days. But on the night of his wedding, he is shocked and disappointed to learn that it's their custom that the older daughter must marry first. And so the father gives him the older daughter, Leah, to marry. And then later allows him to marry Rachel. And so now he's married to two women. And that marriage and the choices he's going to make and the way he's going to handle that situation is going to have impact for generations for this one simple reason. The Bible says in Genesis 29 30 that Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. He governed his life. He governed his 
family according to his greater than. We're no different today. That's how we make our decisions. There's been a lot of talk lately about different colleges changing their conference affiliations. And what's underneath it all is the question, would it be greater than to be in this conference than that one? Because that one is greater than this one. In primary season, in both parties, candidates will debate and the people voting will be asking this question. Is his or her potential for electability greater than the other potential candidates? We of all people should be able to understand this principle because we are Texans, which means we live in the state that is greater than every other state. And we are known for knowing this, aren't we? You may have heard the story of the Texan who went to visit friends in Chicago. And they were going to impress him with their state. But it didn't matter what they did. Everything in Texas was greater than everything in Illinois. They took him to the coast of Lake Michigan. He said, I've got to take you down to the Gulf of Mexico if you want to see a coast. It's so much greater than this. They took him to Champaign to see the University of Illinois. All he could say is, you've got to go to College Station. You've got to go to Austin. Those campuses are much greater than this campus. They showed him Soldier Field where the Bears play football. He said, you've got to go see Cowboy Stadium. There's no stadium in the world greater than where the Cowboys play. Everything was bigger and better in Texas. Well, it just so happened there was a creek behind their home. And that man from Chicago goes down one night and goes down to that creek and he finds and catches a big snapping turtle. Brings it into the guest bedroom, throws back the sheets, puts it under the sheets. His wife says, what are you doing? He says, in the middle of the night, that turtle is going to bite that Texan on the toe. He's going to hop up and down, throw back the sheets. He's going to say, what is that? And we're going to say, that's just a Chicago bed bug. And sure enough, in the middle of the night, they hear a scream. They run in the guest bedroom. The Texan's hopping up and down. He throws back the sheets. What is that? They say, it's a Chicago bed bug. The Texan looks over and says, yep, just a baby. (laughs) You see, your greater than is your functional God. Because it governs your life. And so you need to be sure that your greater than really is greater than. You can do nothing greater than examine your greater than. And so over and over, the word of Scripture is your God is greater than. When the children of Israel are delivered from the Egyptians and Moses tells his father-in-law Jethro what God did to bring deliverance, Jethro replies in Exodus 18, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. This became the message of Israel. That our God is greater than. It became their song. And many of their songs had lines like Psalm 135, 5. I know that the Lord is great. That our Lord is greater than all gods. And I know that we sing that song well. But the reality is the way you live gives 
evidence of whether or not God is your greater than. And so for these next number of weeks, we're going to talk about some difficult life situations and ask the question, are we living in such a way that we believe God is greater than? Because there are consequences for going through life with a shrunken God. But maybe the hardest question is the one we begin with. How do you reconcile God's claim to be greater than with all of the evil in the world? Our friend Max Licato was in New York City several days after the terrible tragedy on that Tuesday 10 years ago. He was in a cab and he asked the taxi driver how his life had been affected And he said, I'm always getting lost. And when Max asked him to explain, he said, well, those towers let me know where where I was anywhere in the city. And now that they're gone, I've lost my bearings. And that's what evil can do. It causes us to lose our sense of where we are and where we're going. Because evil... Is powerful. And I want to tell you a couple things about evil. And the first is that it's greater than our understanding. And the sooner we learn to live with that truth, the better we'll cope with evil. That Scripture's dual claim of God's sovereignty and evil's reality is a mystery we're never going to fully fathom. In fact, many are going to go so far as to insist that the injustice of the world proves there's no God. The daily stories of the children starving or being sold as sex slaves, the genocides and the oppression and the terrorist acts. And God's critics say if he existed, that stuff wouldn't happen, would it? But they have one flaw with their thinking. I don't know of an atheist or an agnostic that wants to refer to disasters or disease and particularly to oppression as natural selection. You understand what I mean. The evolutionists will tell you that the stronger animal is going to kill the weaker animal because it's survival of the fittest. The stronger species is going to wipe out the weeper species. That's how it works. It's just natural selection. But when you get to the human race and a stronger man or woman kills a weaker man or woman, when a stronger nation or people destroy a weaker nation or people, people rise up, including the atheist, and say, that's wrong. That's immoral. Why is it wrong? It happens all the time in the animal world, and no one takes animals to court over it. But something deep inside us says, no, it's wrong for the powerful to dominate and oppress the weak. When it comes to the way humans treat humans, we don't want to go by a natural standard. We want an extra natural, or maybe I should say a supernatural standard. 
And could that sense of what ought to be deep down inside us be the result of being made in the image of God? See, I don't think the presence of evil disproves that God exists. What it does, though, is it makes us wonder, well, why doesn't he do something? Is he just not strong enough? Is God not greater than evil? What's he up to? But again, our criticism has a problem. And here it is. It seems to me that what we want is a God that is so big, he can do anything. But so small that we understand everything. And I don't think you get to have it both ways. Tim Keller, in his magnificent book, Reason for God, a preacher in Manhattan, wrote this. Again, we see lurking within supposedly hard-nosed skepticism an enormous faith in one's own cognitive faculties. If our mind can't plumb the depths of the universe for good answers to suffering, then, well, (laughs) there can't be any. But this is blind faith of a high order. If you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil in the world, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reason for allowing it that you can't know. Indeed, you can't have it both ways. What do you want? Do you want a God so big he can do anything or so small that you know what he's going doing before he does it? I think it's presumptuous to assume we have the capacity to discern every potential reason for God allowing evil. And I think this has tremendous implications for the way we minister to the victims of evil. The Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn. It does not say explain it to those who mourn. And it certainly does not say fix those who mourn. Just Mourn. Because we're never going to understand evil. It's always going to be greater than our feeble explanations. And if, I, if you try to cope with evil by reason, I think you will get crushed. Evil is greater than our understanding. And what we were reminded of 10 years ago, that terrible Tuesday, it's greater than our control. I think it's symbolic when those planes flew into the World Trade Center and they flew into the Pentagon. They flew into symbols of the financial and national security Of the strongest nation that has ever existed. 
And I know the humanist says man is just evolving and getting better and better and better. But I don't see the evidence of it. It seems to me that evil refuses to be domesticated by evolved humanity. It is greater than our attempts at education or legislation or even militarization to eliminate or even contain. Evil is greater than our capacity to control it. And as Christians, as believers in a seen and an unseen world, we have a worldview that is going to be different than anything you're going to read in the papers. And if you are not a believer, I'd ask you for the next few moments to at least listen with an open mind to what I'm going to say. Because the Bible says the evil problem is ultimately a devil problem. And that's why no court and no Congress and no army is ever going to be able to control it. Scripture says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Apostle John would later write that we know that we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The devil is mentioned by every author of the New Testament and particularly by Jesus who taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And so men focus on the webs of evil. And Jesus named the spider. And I suppose that's bad news. But I'm ready for some good news. So I'm going to ask you to play a game with me. It's called the opposite game. It's a very simple game. I'm going to call out a word and you're going to shout back to me the opposite of that word. Ready? Question number one, the opposite of day is, you're one for one, that's a softball. The opposite of good is, very good. The opposite of light is, very good. The opposite of Satan is, you missed that one. The opposite of Satan is Michael. Satan, a created being by God, led a rebellion of angels. He's the leader of the dark angels. Michael is the obedient commander of the good angels. Satan is not the opposite of God. God has no opposites because God has no equals. And so when he cursed that serpent and told him how it's going to be, the serpent didn't talk back to God and say, you can't make me. Because God is greater than the evil one. And so evil is prevalent, but it is not 
preeminent. As John would also say, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So let's think about the implications of this. If God is greater than evil, then that means he can bring good out of evil. He does not ordain evil, but he can use evil to reveal his glory. And I think we saw many examples of that right after 9-11. That evil day reminded us of some important things. Like, for example, that people are more important than things. When we saw those terrible images, we ran home and we didn't hug our stuff. We hugged our family. Because relationships are greater than things. And for a few days at least, we decided that unity is greater than tribalism and divisiveness. And we weren't black and white or Republican and Democrat. We were one people under God. And we remembered that love is greater than hate. And that faith is greater than cynicism. When evil strikes. The terrorists sought to bring us to our knees. And they did. But not in the way they intended. There are many stories have come out of the 9-11 tragedy. Inspiring stories. You know a lot about Todd Beamer. And the heroic act he and others did on that flight costing them their lives but saving the lives of maybe hundreds and thousands of others intended as the target of that plane and his wife Lisa has shared her story with many people but you may not know that a group of Russian journalists came to America to interview Lisa and she took them to Princeton Alliance Church where Scott taught Bible school and in his classroom there was an image on the board and on one side you see a kind of a canyon and a man and on the other side of a canyon you see the image of God and in between there was a cross and they said what what does that mean and so it was explained that the cross is God's bridge giving sinful man a way to be reconciled and made right with the God of heaven and the bureau chief named Eugene says I've never heard such a thing tell me more and it's reported that right there on that day he asked if Christ could be his savior but more He goes back to Russia and he shares with millions of his viewers that image that he saw on that wall in that Bible class. And millions of Russian people heard the gospel. And I don't think the dark angels that poisoned the minds of those terrorists ever intended for that to happen. Did you know that right now in Manhattan... There are 30,000 more people going to evangelical churches than there were 10 years ago today. Churches that hold up the Bible as the Word of God and preach that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, of the about 200 evangelical churches in Manhattan, almost half of them have been planted and started since 9-11. Our church works with a ministry called Orchard Group that plants churches in the Northeast 
with Christian churches and churches of Christ. Uh, it's whom we're planting everyday Christian church with right now. They've planted 24 churches in the Northeast since 9-11. 12 of them in Manhattan with over 10,000 people worshiping in them. And our church plant, Everyday Christian Church in Upper Manhattan, is meeting and worshiping God today. And then they're making care packages that they're going to be sending to soldiers in Iraq. I don't think the forces of evil ever intended for that to happen. You see, God reigns over the very worst evil can do. Didn't he prove that at the cross? You see, the greatest act of evil in history didn't happen on a Tuesday. It happened on a Friday. And God took hell's best shot. And his throne never wobbled. The cross says God can bring good out of evil. And more than that, it says that God understands the horror of evil because he's been there. He's been a victim of evil. And so as we live in this evil world, we remember what Peter said, that the grace of God is with you no matter what happens. And so Frank Selecchia was one of the men involved in searching for bodies at 9-11. It was 9-13 on Thursday when he was looking in the area around Tower 6. And this is what he saw. In the middle of all that coinage, a cross. It's now called the Ground Zero Cross, the World Trade Center Cross. It was taken across the street, brought comfort to millions. Now, even though the uh, atheist organizations tried to protest, it's going to be a part of the 9-11 memorial. And I don't know what you think when you see something like that. But it reminds me of this important truth. That there's nothing. Angel or demon. Life or death. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. As Paul would say, Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know. Yes, evil has its moments. Calvary even says that. But Calvary also says evil does not get its way. God is greater than evil. And so he always gets the last word. Despite all of the devil's worst efforts, God has proven to be remarkably shrink-resistant. It's like playing chess with a master. No matter how well you think you are doing, he always 
has another move. You can't checkmate him. And so when his enemy traps his people by a sea and Pharaoh's armies are surrounding for slaughter, the king had one more move. And when the giant seems unslayable and everyone is terrified, the young shepherd shows up and the king has one more move. And when the people are destined for annihilation, a young Jewish girl is made queen and the king has got one more move. And when they placed his son in a tomb... Well, the king had one more move. And in the resurrection, a God is revealed who is greater than death itself. And we get a glimpse of a world where evil will be no more. I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There's a lot of gospel there. Particularly, one of my favorite lines is when Sam Ganji, the hobbit, sees Gandalf, who he thought was dead but is not. And in this great line, Sam says to Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer is yes. Because God always gets the, ba- the last Word. And the last word is not evil. The last word is evil spelled backwards. Live. And someday we're going to live as we were meant to live. That's why I don't think it was a coincidence. What we chose as our most popular song in the year of 9 11. It was written by a guy named Bart, who's the lead singer for a guy, a group called Mercy Me. He actually wrote it two years earlier when his father died, but it wasn't released till 2001. I can only imagine. Imagine a world where we're going to surround the throne and dance with Jesus. But what was stunning was it didn't just get play on the Christian stations. People started calling pop stations and country stations. And all over the nation, people wanted to hear that song. Why? Because we want to hope so desperately that there is a day when evil's gone. And dancing. With Jesus is the whole agenda. See, I'm not trying to diminish the reality and the pain of evil. I'm trying to encourage you not to shrink God. Jesus is offering you and me the greater than life and it won't erase evil for now but it will face evil 
with an overcoming hope. Or as Paul put it, we have small troubles for a while now, but they are helping us gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. Pray with me, please. Oh, God, we've read the verses and and we know the hymns. With our lips, we proclaim you are greater than anything we deal with and face. With our lives, we don't proclaim as well or as loud. There's so much temptation, God, we face as we face evil. To look for something else to be our greater than. Something else to promise what only you can give. And so we pray, God, deliver us from this temptation. Just as we ask you to deliver us from evil. Keep us focused on the cross so that we don't lose our bearings. And we're not asking God to understand. We're asking you to help us believe even when we don't. Because you have given us sufficient reason to believe that you're greater than evil now and you will destroy evil then. And the world needs to hear and see a people with that news. May we, God, be that people for the sake and the glory and the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me ask you to stand. Let's sing truth about God. Let's sing it with all our hearts. This is a good time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ, to be baptized into Jesus Christ as we cover you with these powerful words. You can come.